I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast features real stories from real people of how they make modern dating work, or not. I'm your host, Yue, former dating coach turned dating insider, if you will. On each episode, you'll hear commentary from my producer, Julie Kraftchik, and other surprise co-hosts. This episode of Dateable is brought to you by 500 Brunches. 500 Brunches connects like-minded people with similar interests to meet in real life over brunch. You answer a quick questionnaire about your interests and how you spend your time, and then they'll match you in small groups of six to eight at a brunch spot in San Francisco. Get a free entry into a brunch now by signing up at 500brunches.com and using the code DATEABLE. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. A lot of the times on this show, we focus quite a bit on the dating phase, getting to know each other, finding someone suitable for you. But today we're going to talk about what happens after you get in a relationship with someone and sometimes unexpected events could happen. What does commitment really mean? When you commit to someone for life, let's say, or when you commit to someone for you think the long term, what does that really mean? So today we're going to talk about 
a scenario that, you know, it's unexpected. None of us could have ever predicted it to happen. But when you're in a relationship with someone, how do you deal and cope? So I want to introduce my two guests. We have Judy and Pablo. Hey, guys, if you want to say a quick hi. 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 <laughs> Judy is 32 years old. She grew up in the South Bay, but she's lived in San Francisco for eight years now. And Pablo grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's been in San Francisco for six years, and he's 33 years old. So let's go with how did you guys meet? Oh, by the way, they are married. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler <Yeah>. alert. <laughs> Blind date here. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how did you guys meet? Yeah. So in 2014, our mutual friend, a guy named Chris, who was in Pablo's fraternity in college and just one of my really good friends, he introduced us. But it's a funny story because before he introduced us, he had been telling me for a while, even while I was dating somebody else, that he really wanted me to meet this guy, Pablo, who he thought was much better for me. Um, So I had tried to meet Pablo a couple months before we actually met, but it turned out that Pablo was in a relationship. And then when Pablo broke up with his then girlfriend, Chris finally got us together and Honestly, after that first date, we just, we took it slow at first, but it's been, you know, a great relationship ever since. So what was the first date? Uh, well, our friend Chris introduced us and he took us to a charity gala where we kind of were just hanging out, having fun. And that's where we really first met for the first time. But I guess Judy likes to really call our first date lunch at Facebook, which is where she was working at the time. <laughs> and, romantic. Uh, yeah. That is so San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but first date was at Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How much more cliche can we get? <laughs> but uh, it actually worked out really well because our offices were really close by to each other. And so she invited me over. I, of course, wanted to get free food. And it was much better than my office cafeteria. So uh-huh. I went over and uh, I remember talking so fast, actually, that I choked on my salad and I had a coughing fit for like oh, five God. minutes. But uh, unfortunately, we were able to work past that. Yeah. And it was a great first date because neither of us had to pay. We didn't have to split anything. There you go. So yeah. it worked out. It makes it easier, no doesn't it? Yeah. Exactly. And the then she sent you off with some snacks, I'm yeah. guessing. Phil's coffee. Yeah. Oh. yeah. That's yep. when you knew. That's yeah. when I knew. Um, so you guys dated for two and a half years before you proposed, Pablo, right? Right? Yeah. How did you propose? Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, that was just a great day. Um, so, well, to, to kind of preface this a little bit, like we, we've been talking about being serious, obviously, and it was not a question of if, it was just a question of when. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judy and I were always pretty open about that. And so coming around, getting close to two years into our relationship, Judy started kind of not so subtly dropping <laughs> that What, uh, Facebook ads? What is all this Targeting people named Pablo, living in San Francisco, <laughs> wedding rings. <laughs> no, exactly. So we kind of were, was building up to this, but it was um, Judy, and I tell all of, all of her friends about this, it's kind of a thing that I her friends that she's actually really good at long-term planning not many people know this about her and so to the point where like if i want to plan a date for us spontaneously on a weekend she's probably already planned something if it's inside of a four (laughs) so it's hard to surprise it's really hard to surprise it has to be on the calendar because we're pretty busy like judy's very active she's got a lot of friends through facebook otherwise in san francisco since she's been here such a long time so um 
So I had to block off a calendar, a weekend on the calendar, and she was like, "I think I know what's happening this weekend." <laughs> yeah. To the point where, like, the Friday before, she kind of told her coworkers, "Like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go get engaged this yeah. weekend." <laughs> <laughs> and then, as we were packing, I yeah. said, "Don't forget the ring box, Pablo." <laughs> yeah, but then I, I was like, I was thinking in my head, like, what if I just threw her for a loop and just didn't propose yeah. this weekend? Like, wouldn't that just be crazy? But. I thought it'd just be too mean to throw yeah. it. But anyway, I didn't, I, I kind of, so what I did was I really, instead of surprising her about the if, I surpri- surprised her around the how. Um, so I just told her to pack a bag. I didn't tell her where we were going. I said, just pack a bag for the weekend, get in the car. We're going somewhere awesome. So I took her to um, one of our favorite places that we went to in our relationship in Yauntville, uh, mm-hmm. up in Napa. And then that Saturday, I kind of planned this whole special day for her, waking up in the morning, going for a run with our dog, um, getting massages, getting brunch. And then after that, we were biking down. I found a really secluded spot in this vineyard, just overlooking this gorgeous uh, row of vines. And I pretended like I had to get off to stop for some water. And, and that was when I proposed just there. Yeah. And what was your reaction, Judy? I only remember saying, of course. I didn't really remember what he said. Um, and then I cried. Did you cry? I cried. <laughs> no, I didn't cry. I, I remember you cried. Yeah, a lot. I definitely cried. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is it about each other that you thought to yourself, well, this is it. This is the one for me? There's, there's so much about Pablo. Um, where do I even start? I think probably the most important thing to me, though, is. He's just a person who will do good by other people is the only way I can put it. Um, I remember the head coach of Stanford, David Shaw, his wife once said about him that he's the kind of person who will do the right thing even when no one is looking. And I think that's something that I would apply to Pablo too. He just has a very strong set of values that I identify with. He is somebody who is really good to his friends, um, who is close with his family and I think it's just one of those things when you start thinking about raising a family, that's the kind of person you want to be with. Um, and he's also obviously very easy on the eyes. <laughs> you guys can attest to. And, yeah. And, and he's smart and he's just a funny guy too. <laughs> Pablo, your turn. Uh, yeah. Wow. I, how to top that. Uh, it's, it's a slow buildup of things, I think, over the course of a relationship. It's not one particular thing, but it's a lot of just the little things, um, learning about their sense of humor, getting to know them. But for me, if I could list maybe some of the top things about Judy, it's really comes down to her intelligence, her ambition, and how good she is to her friends. I think those are the things that really, and of course her looks. <laughs> but, uh, That's those, a given. Yeah. But for me, those are the things that really stand out. I mean, she's she's a bookworm. She likes the, like, she likes, we like having philosophical discussions about politics. Like, those are the things that really keep me engaged, uh, the sense of humor, just, you know, day in, day out. Um, that's really what made me fall in love with her. Yeah, notice how neither of us said the other person was cool. I think <laughs> <laughs> that comes out pretty clearly. Exactly. Cool is overrated. <laughs> so you've been dating for two and a half years. You go on this great weekend getaway with your dog, and Pablo proposes, and Judy says yes. Everything seems great. Your life together is about to start. Now something happens shortly after. What happens? Uh, uh, where to start? I guess it's, uh, it it was, uh, kind of shocking, but once again, it was kind of a slow ramp up. Uh, so about two months after I proposed, uh, we hadn't even really gotten into wedding planning yet. Two months after I proposed, we were actually going to a friend's wedding in Denver, Colorado. And I noticed a few days before the wedding that I had just really bad stomach pain. And it was just one of those things, like maybe I ate something wrong. Like, I'm not sure what it is. My stomach's just a little unsettled. It'll probably pass. 
Um, so I said, don't worry about it. You know, I'll fly to Denver. It'll be fine. It'll pass and we'll go to this. Um, but then the Saturday morning before the wedding, it just got really terrible. Um, so we went to a doctor and, um, you know, we ended up, you know, long story short, we spent the whole day in the hospital. They did a scan on me. They first thought it was a kidney stone. And I said, oh, that makes sense. Like, you know, whatever, I'll drink more water next time. No big deal. Uh, but then they said, let's just do a scan to be sure. And they did a scan. And then the, the doctor came back and said, oh, like, actually, do you have something in your stomach? Uh, mm. And we don't know what it is. Uh, so we need to keep you here. So we ended up missing the wedding. Um, and then, you know, managing through the bureaucracy of the hospital, we came home and they, they, they we basically left and they didn't really know what it was. Uh, so we came back to San Francisco and decided to get a second opinion. And the doctor said, you know, better safe than sorry. Let's get this thing out. Um, so about four weeks later, we had a surgery. Uh, we got the mass out. They still didn't really know what it was, and they had to get a biopsy. Um, and at this point, what did you guys think it was? We, I mean, no no one had said that they even thought it would be cancer. And so we just thought he had some sort of cyst that maybe he was born with. Mm -hmm. And... Um, that once it was taken out, he would be fine. We thought the surgery was going to be the scariest thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was kind of like a s slow realization of yeah. bad things, and it's. It, I kind of just like relate it sometimes to rolling the dice and just getting a one every time. Every time it comes back, it's like, oh, you have pain. It's not a kidney stone. You have something in your stomach. Um, oh, you have something in your stomach. And then once we got it out, the doctor said, actually, like it's not probably not a cyst. It seemed actually a lot harder. Than normally cysts are, uh, so he thought it was something bad, but he still wasn't using the word cancer. Um, so then four weeks later, though, you know, we're hoping, hoping for not rolling a one on the dice, uh, but then came back and said, no, actually, you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is wow. a type of cancer of the immune system. He told us that day, and I still vividly remember it, and we were in such shock. I mean, I think I cried a little in his office, but we were in such shock that both of us went back to work. We just didn't know what to mm -hmm. do, and then... Once I got back to work, I just completely lost it because people were asking me what happened. Mm -hmm. So it was just one of those things where it was so unexpected because prior to that, I mean, Pablo had been so healthy. We ran half marathons. We worked out a lot. It mm -hmm. was just a crazy thing. Mm -hmm. And how severe was your diagnosis? Uh, luckily, it was not too severe. So we caught it really early. And that was just luck of the draw. If there is luck in the situation, we had a little yeah. bit of it. Um, in the fact that it formed in my stomach in a place that caused me physical pain mm -hmm. and caused us to find it because we found out later that most people don't figure out they have this type of cancer until they experience night sweats and fevers. Oh, wow. And by then wow. it's spread to multiple parts of the body. So the tumor that they extracted during that surgery was the only form of cancer that they found in my system oh, good. at any point. Uh, so they did scans, they couldn't find anything else, but it did mean, you know, the doctor said like, you know, you never know. It could be mm -hmm. one cell floating around. So you have to go through chemotherapy. And that kind of started the ordeal. Yeah. So non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is a blood cancer. It travels through the blood. And so it's different from something like breast cancer or a cancer that's concentrated in one area. Because a lot of times with those types of cancers, you can actually just do radiation if it's caught early enough. But mm -hmm. with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, because it can travel and you could have like a cancer cell somewhere in your body as it goes through the blood, you have to do six rounds of chemo no matter what. So that was kind of unfortunate. I mean, just because we knew we were going to be in for a long, arduous journey because of that. Obviously, this is something unexpected. You don't <laughs> yeah. propose to someone and, mm -hmm. and think, oh, maybe I'll tell her that I have cancer. Yeah, and yeah. that's not something you expect. So once you found out your diagnosis, what did you guys talk about in terms of planning? Obviously, 
Did you put, you know, wedding planning on hold? There was just so much uncertainty. We couldn't even do anything around the planning. I mean, you know, two months after the engagement, we were really about to start getting into like, let's pick a date, let's pick a venue, let's start, you know, figuring out all this stuff. And uh, there was just so much uncertainty that we just said, we can't do any of this until we know more. Well, we had met and cut a check to our wedding planner. But then we had to yeah. put that on pause. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, we were getting into it. So it was really just like, you can't, you can't do anything. You just have to wait. So here's an interesting statistic that I read online. Mm-hmm. I don't know what sources, but um, according to the, this article, 50% of couples break up during cancer diagnosis. Wow. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I get it. Uh, I, under, I, I understand and sympathize with that statistic. I'm sure that for a lot of couples, it's really hard, especially if it hits you earlier on in the relationship. Um, I think lucky for lucky for me, especially uh, that, you know, Judy and I had formed this really strong bond and we'd already, you know, leading up to the engagement, we already knew we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. It was more of a formality. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, lucky that that we'd I don't know. I, I guess I would say that we'd spent so much time uh, working and nurturing our relationship to get it to the strength that it was at at that point. But I'm, yeah, I mean, I did joke that I was going to make a backup <laughs> Tinder profile, but it was just a very dark joke and I wasn't feeling yeah. too great. Yeah, but funny now. Funny yeah, now. funny now. Um, <laughs> but it was never a question that I was going to be there with Pablo through everything and that, you know, it's one of those things where when you see someone you love, suffering so much as he was going through chemo and just watching the toll it took on his body, everything else in your life becomes so unimportant and mm-hmm. you really become mm-hmm. like stripped down to what is essentially you. And you get this very cl- like clear vision of the things that you care about. And in some ways, when I'm now that we're on the other side of this, I think in some ways I can actually start to appreciate how that's made us stronger. And when you say during the chemo process, now, are you done with chemo? I'm done with chemo okay. right now. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, I'm yeah. still kind of in a long-term um, observation period, mm-hmm. but done with chemo. Yeah. So with chemo, I mean, we've read stories of people dealing with, you know, their significant other going through chemo. Mm-hmm. It's not a pretty scene, right? Mm-hmm. It's no. it's extremely challenging mm-hmm. and it's ex- extremely um I, I think a lot, some people have described it as like a part of yourself is dying mm-hmm. with your partner. Yeah. Describe what that was like. What were you seeing with what Pablo was going through? You're just watching the person you love the most in the world go through an agonizing journey. And the way that Pablo is, is he is so strong and so positive. I think both of us have said if it were the opposite way around, it maybe would have been harder on both of us because Pablo is just very, very strong. Um, the only time I really saw him cry during this whole process is when he had to call his best friends and then call his parents to tell them he had cancer. And he was crying because of how hard it would be on them. And it's just that's just the kind of person that he is. Um, it was I mean, I definitely think I suffered at least like two mental breakdowns during this period. I mean, I had times when I was just hysterically crying and trying to do it out of sight of Pablo. But what was the what was the basis of these mental breakdowns? One. So when he started losing his hair, it was just 
I can't even explain it. It was so terrible. It was just like it, it's it's exactly how they describe in books or in movies. It started to come out in clumps, mm. and I would just touch his head, and his hair would be out. And so we went to Supercuts and just had the lady <laughs> shave his head yeah. for like yeah, ten bucks. I think it's yeah. like that's when you're like, this is real. This yeah. is real. Yeah. That's when it's real. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we had probably the worst Christmas we could ever have because uh, Pablo, there are like times in chemo where your immune system is so weak you really can't go outside or do anything, and so. The two of us were pretty much just home by ourselves and we couldn't even see our family because um, my nephew was sick and he mm. and Pablo couldn't be around anybody who was sick. So it was um, it was definitely a lot of like very, very dark days. He has he got these nosebleeds that would last for an hour because his blood couldn't clot them. Uh, he had terrible mouth sores that mm. put him on like a liquid only diet. He drank a lot of Soylent. Oh, yeah, going yeah. through chemo. Yeah. It's actually a very good use very case good for soilant. Yeah. It was sure. just, I mean, it was terrible. I guess I would also add from my perspective, it's, it, it seemed to be stressful on Judy for ways that uh, aren't necessarily expected. Um, like, uh, you know, and I would imagine that if it, it were, if it were flipped, uh, I would feel the same way that like, you want to be there for your partner as much as possible. But Judy also needs time to like, get out of the house and like, right. you know, forget about this, like release a little bit. Like I'm not right. going anywhere. Like I, I literally couldn't get off the couch for a lot of days. So, um, but just like even making sure that she had a friend to go to like a boot camp class with to exercise. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like you don't have that release. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't kind of do that, it can be really stressful. Mm-hmm. My parents were in town and um, they helped a lot with the cooking yeah. of, the, of the home meals. But yeah. obviously bringing in parents, <laughs> like we're not even married yet, right? Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. they're, not even, they're not even technically yeah. in-laws, yeah. right? But yeah. like they, they add a lot of stress and not like, not because they're mean or bad no. people, right. but just because they're parents, yeah. you know, and, and they right. care, and they're so doting, right. and they care, yeah. and and that's just that's and just they're concerned as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. And in addition to the physical effects, what were some of the emotional effects? Ah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's a tough one. Because you seem very strong, both yeah. of you very strong talking well, about this in hindsight. But weren't there days when you're just so you feel so weak, or you feel like? I just don't have that mental capacity to think about life right now. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I think for me, I'm just a positive person in general. That's always helped me. And I, I never, I never, and I never spend any time thinking about the negative what ifs. Uh, and I think that helped me a lot through the chemo because if you start going down that path, you just, you go down a negative downward spiral, you know, and it's just terrible. And so I think really, you just have to focus on, on the really good things, the good aspects. I was always just so thankful that I had Judy, I had my parents, I had people around me that really cared. We had such a great support network mm-hmm. of our friends. So we had visitors coming in. Uh, we had board game nights uh, whenever we could. Um, so just always focusing on that positive aspect. I, I'd say like, even though we were going through a really tough time, I, I think we were lucky in so, so many ways that a lot of people that go through this process just aren't. And I really mm-hmm. focused on that. And for you, Judy, when you're going through some of the the weaker points Mm. throughout the entire process, did you feel like you had to hide it from Pablo? Did you feel like you had to, you know, you couldn't show too much weakness? That probably would have been better. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm not good at hiding anything from Pablo. And I think a lot of times, actually, you know, I would stress him out more. I mean, he started his second round of chemo the day of the election and I had gone out (laughs) to an election viewing party thinking that I was going to have some wine and it was going to be really fun. But instead I had some wine and I came home sobbing. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and I mean, that was hard because Pablo was on the couch, couldn't move. He has, he had his bag of chemo yeah. infusions on him, so he couldn't move. And here I am like crying about the end of the world. And I said something that I very, very much regret, which is just that I was so miserable. I wanted to die. And I said this to my fiance who mm-hmm. actually had cancer. And I still regret that to this day, but I just wasn't even thinking. Um, so I wish that I, I do wish maybe that I had, but I think at like overall looking back, I mean, the fact that we were able to be open with each other helped us get through it because we could recognize when problems were starting to form much earlier on. And we just did such a good job of being there for each other. Mm-hmm. What were some of those problems? You know, I think I just, I got, it was hard for me to feel like all of these plans we had, we, we had to put on mm-hmm. hold. And it sounds very petty now that I'm saying this out loud, but you know, we had vacations that we planned mm-hmm. and we couldn't go. We wanted to spend New Year's Eve in New Orleans, but instead he was basically home and like bedridden the entire time. Mm-hmm. And Pablo, like he said, is such a positive person. He would always remind me like we had the two of each other. We had the right. two of each other. And that was the most important thing. And I absolutely agreed, but it just felt so unfair to be in a position where these things that we wanted to do had to be put on hold. Right. And we're also the only one of our friends we know who had to go through this. And obviously it's worse for Pablo because he, he had cancer. I think that was like very hard for me. Um, you know, I read a lot of books. We talked about doing therapy. We, we didn't actually do it because we managed to just kind of sit and talk through a lot of it, mm. issues ourselves. But I think it helped me mature a lot at the end of the day too. It helped me get rid of feelings of, of like missing out, I guess, um, as other people were going about planning their Thanksgivings or their Christmases or yeah. their New Year's trips and stuff. So it's yeah. hard because yeah. it's like you're only human. So yeah. it's yeah. like it's hard not to beat yourself up yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point, though, I, especially like today and especially relevant right now with our generation that people are really caught up in social media and Facebook and Instagram and people go on all these beautiful vacations. They take all these amazing pictures and, you know, if you go down the route of thinking like we don't get to have that, that's, you know, it's, we're just so unlucky. We, you know, we're not getting to experience these things. But uh, I think it's just it's so important to think about what you actually do have and how yeah. lucky we are, you know, living in San Francisco. Is, is all your podcast listeners San Francisco? I'm guessing not. But like, not everyone. Not but everybody. A lot but, of them. But are. like, you know, yeah. at least for us, we yeah. live in San Francisco. It's yeah. a great city. It's a metropolis. Like, we, you know, we have we have an apartment. You know, we have right. bank accounts like. Little things that not a very big apartment. (laughs) Not a big apartment. It's still an apartment. Exactly. It's like times like this, though. That's when you do appreciate. You do. You really do. Well, when you think about relation, because we, you know, we talk about dating so much on this podcast, and we talk about what commitment means, and it's like for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. People are so willing to say that sentence for better or for worse. But most of the time, they're thinking about for the better. Mm-hmm. And then when they think about for the worse, they're thinking about, oh, if my partner has a cold, I will bring him some chicken noodle soup. <laughs> if my partner's depressed at, about work, then I will console him. It's, um, I guess we don't really think about, we're so independent these days. We think about our partners being quite independent and strong. Mm-hmm. We don't think about the moments when they're completely helpless and mm-hmm. need us. Mm-hmm. So if you had to give couples or anybody, it doesn't have to be a couple, people advice on what are some earlier conversations that couples should be having earlier in their dating life to make, to mitigate some of these later problems that may arise? 
<laughs> That's a great question. Uh, and we've had some conversations like this with some of our friends too. Judy still has a lot of uh, friends in LA who are still single. So if there are any guys listening to this podcast, definitely. Uh... <laughs> Hit Judy up. <laughs> Hit Judy up. No, but I would say that I think um, uh, sometimes we talk to them about this. And I think that with technology the way it is right now and how it's uh, changed dating, that early on in a lot of relationships, um, if you find something wrong with your potential partner, whether some quirk you don't like or whatever it might be, I think there's a really low barrier right now for people to just say, okay, that's it. Like mm-hmm. I have this huge yep. supply of like 50 next, Tinder matches. Next. Yep. next, like let's do this. And um, I think that uh, you have to be really careful. I think, you know, early on, early on, you know, Judy and I had fights about things. Like I was ashamed about some of the things that I did. And there were definitely some things that I thought Judy could have been a much better person at, but we talked through it. We worked through it um, because ultimately we, re- we really understood that deep down the goodness in each other. And I think that it's really important to, um, to work through those issues so that eventually you can deeply empathize with your partner and not to the point where like, oh, you're sick. I'll do the check. I'll go online. Like, this mm-hmm. is the things I'm supposed to do when you're sick. I'll bring you chicken noodle soup. But it's like, no, like Judy's sick. She actually really likes clam chowder. Uh, mm. I'm going to get her some clam chowder. Yeah. Like what are the things that she really likes? Like macaroons, like really put yourself in that person's shoes. Uh, and I think that's one of the big differences. Yeah. And I just, I also would say, you know, relationships are work. They're a lot of fun. And even early on when you're still like in this very honeymoon phase and there's butterflies, but even then there's still work. You have to make time for the other person and you have to be able to say sometimes, Mm -hmm. maybe this isn't something that I want to do, but I will do it because it's important for that other person. And Mm -hmm. it can't be as like me centric anymore. If you really are trying to make space for somebody else in your life, Mm -hmm. I think Pablo and I both just did a really good job of that. Um, I'm going to tell a funny story about Pablo now. Yeah. So, uh, when we first started um, dating, once I was using his computer and there was this folder that just said Judy. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> in that folder, he had taken notes of things that he Aww. knew I liked, conversations oh that we've been having. And he would save it all in so that he knew if he had to plan To a this dinner. day, I thought that was still a secret. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. It's not a podcast. I, 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 I oh, my God. It. Okay. Um, but, like, if he was planning a dinner or a trip or buying me a gift, he had things that he knew I liked. Like, he knew what my favorite right. flower was and stuff like that, um, which I just feel like. Peonies. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It just, I think, you know, for if there's things that don't come naturally to you, putting that kind of work and showing that you really care about the other person is so, so important. And I think maybe as a, a, a good example of some of the things that maybe you work through early on in relationships, because uh, obviously right now we, we love each other so much and everything we've been through our relationship is really strong. But I couldn't tell at all. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but like early on, you know, early on there were a lot of things and there was there was some friction. Like, for example, Judy loves to communicate all the time. Uh, and, <laughs> and like I, uh, you know, I, I had a I was working consulting gig. I was building by the hour. It was really important for me to be focused at work, but she was texting me like nonstop at work. And I was like, I don't have time for this. And then she would get mad if uh-huh. I didn't text her within a few hours. I'm like, I'm busy. I need to focus at work. And like, that was like one example, I think. Yeah. But I learned, you know, I learned to be more open about communicating because I definitely could have been better. And I think she learned to scale it back, to scale it back yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we compromise. Mm-hmm. What was one thing that each of you did to support that was really like instrumental during this time? Like if there's anything that stood out to you. To support? Uh, so what like do you mean? during your whole cancer Oh, period. oh, oh. <sighs> mm. Well, I mean, 
For me, I would just say, looking back on the experience and how much Pablo was suffering, he, you know, I think one of the conversations we had early on that was hard was that I just didn't feel like Pablo was giving me enough to do in some ways. Like he was acting like he could do everything on his own. Mm. And I was getting very frustrated because I was like, we're going through this together. I am your partner. Mm. You need to tell me what you need. And then it kind of finally just came out where he was like, I want you to live a normal life. I want you to have as normal of a life as possible. So I don't want you to feel like you, I don't, you, I don't want you to feel like you have to do anything and I don't want to be a burden. Wow. And I started crying because I was like, I never want you to feel like I would think that you're a burden. But I think that was helpful because for me, it was this moment of Pablo's doing all of this for me. He isn't blocking me out for his sake. He's right. doing it to save me. And so I was like, that's not what I want. I will be here as much as you need me to be here. And I think that was like a good start to making sure that I was fully supporting him however he needed. Mm-hmm. And I guess the flip side of that coin is for me being more open about uh, what my needs are, like whatever it is, I need a prescription filled. Mm-hmm. I need, you know, I, I'm out of Gatorades. Yeah. I can really use some Gatorades. Can you run to the store mm-hmm. rather than just like, oh, we'll Instacart this because it's more convenient mm-hmm. for everybody. Like she wanted to be helpful mm-hmm. and I had to recognize that. And that's important, right? To talk about, I want to be here for you. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of thinking, well, live your life. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want this to be a burden. But you're seeing it as pushing it away. Yeah, exactly. Did you guys have any really hard conversations during this period? Like, for example, was the topic of death ever brought up? Mm, No, no. Hmm. I mean, uh, I would say... I don't think we ever really seriously talked about it. Mostly because, like I said, I didn't want to, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just you can't you can't think about that. Yeah. But I don't know. yeah, I mean, our doctor at every stage really felt like this is something Pablo was going to be able to survive. I mean, the odds of uh, the survival rate for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma if you're under 65 is actually pretty good, especially when you catch it early. Mm-hmm. We also had um, friends that we were connected to who'd gone through this and were fine. They ended up mm-hmm. having, you know, children and families and stuff. So it was something we really just pushed out of our heads. Um, I do remember crying about it once, just thinking about what would happen if you did die. But mm-hmm. It was one of those things where we wanted to fight this as positively as possible and thinking about that just wouldn't have helped anything. When did the wedding planning get back into the schedule rotation? <laughs> Once Judy had figured out when my hair was going to go back by, <laughs> that's what we planned our wedding day around, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so Pablo finished chemo mid-February and we actually were visiting venues by early March. Oh, nice. wow. Yeah. You yeah. get it done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we got right back on yeah. that horse. <laughs> so how do you think this hardship changed your relationship? Is it too cliche to say that it made us stronger? I, think, I like, don't think no, it is. No, I don't think it is. It probably, yeah. I mean, but I, in what way? Yeah. I think we are probably one of the couples we know that communicate the best. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, after everything we've gone through, it is hard for us to ever argue to a point where one of us yells at the other. I mean, we don't do that really mm-hmm. at all. And I think we've recognized that when you're when you're fighting about something, when you have a disagreement, it isn't about winning. It's about working through it together. And mm. sometimes that just means compromise. That means nobody is right, nobody is wrong, but you have to actually right. just come to an agreement on something. I would also add to that. I think that uh, in any relationship, it's important to be vulnerable uh, in front of your partner. And I mean, there's obviously various degrees of that, right? Going through chemo and like inching towards, you know, yeah. death is one 
uh, is pretty scary and like almost the ultimate vulnerability. And uh, as a man, you know, I you don't want to be that way. You want to always be the strong one, the supportive one, the one who's caring for the other. But uh, for me, like opening up in that way and knowing that it's okay, um, really just obviously just made it incredibly strong, our bond. Yeah, and kind of what you just said, like that Judy actually wanted yeah. She there. still loved yeah. me after all that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. she wanted to be there. So, right. yeah. yeah. So, in addition to your incredible communication skills, which, by the way, <laughs> is this something you already had before meeting each other, or was this something you both worked on? <laughs> I would say in every relationship prior to being with Pablo, I was always the kind of person who would argue until I exhausted the other person. I huh. used to joke, like, with my ex. I could be like, the sky is not blue. And he would try to say the sky is blue. But then I would just continue to talk until he finally would just give up and agree with me. And and I hope he's not listening. But I think part of it was because I was much smarter than he I was a lot smarter than he was. Um, and also probably a lot more stubborn, which is a bad quality. But with Pablo, I found very, very quickly that he's somebody who is very smart, very logical incredibly rational and would always be able to kind of push back and keep me in line. And I think that's a really great quality to have because you want to feel like you're talking to an equal. Mm. I, I'm an engineer, so I don't really have good talking skills. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, it's something that I've developed, especially a lot uh, since the three plus, you know, years that we've been together, uh, that Judy's always engaged me in conversation, asking me what I think about things. Um, we, we discuss a lot and it's really elevated, I think, my, my ability to communicate with her. So Judy really brought the frequency of communication, <laughs> mm -hmm. and you brought the method of communication. <laughs> yeah. I like go. it. Yeah, I like go. it. It really fits what you guys do anyway. <laughs> what did this teach you guys about love and relationships that you may not have thought about before? I would say for me, the biggest thing is just knowing, really, really knowing that nothing in life is guaranteed. You don't. Mm. You don't get to live the perfect life that you've always dreamed of. You don't get to sit around and say that will happen for me someday. Mm -hmm. You have to really, really work at it. Um, and you have to seize the opportunities when they come along. And I think that's something you can apply to a career. You can even apply that to friendships and being mm -hmm. able to actually say, we're going to take that trip to Paris or wherever that you and your girlfriends have always wanted to go to. But certainly in a relationship, you know, it's, it's really about, being able to work through things together and, and make a real commitment to someone. Which isn't to say that if there are like serious red flags, you should you know, yeah. try to fix somebody. Like mm -hmm. obviously there's limits to this, but um, you know, recognizing goodness in someone and mm -hmm. the real qualities that you want in a life lifelong partner uh, and then working through all the little things. You know, the little, the, the, the constant text during the day. Like, we can, we can figure this out. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then all that this. just seems like nothing now, yeah, right? Well, exactly. like you guys it's said about, like, the fighting. It's like, at this point, you're like, like what's, what's the, the point? point? Yeah. Like, we've dealt with much bigger things at <laughs> yeah. this point. Like, yeah, yeah. who cares, you know? Do yeah. you think your definition of commitment has changed after this experience? Um... I don't think my definition of commitment has. I think my understanding of it has. Mm -hmm. In if what that way? Makes sense. Uh, like when you promise to be with someone forever, sickness through health, right? Uh, it's it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to be there yeah. Uh, yeah. when the chips are really, really down. And then to recognize that someone was there for you when everything else was falling apart. That's something that um, you know it really changes your perspective on on people. That like and appreciate that someone um, 
that someone will make that commitment to you, right? Because it's a two-way street. You make that commitment to them, but then, and, and realizing like, wow, this person really like, you know, they just, I'm having a hard time vocalizing this, I think. No, it totally like, yeah, makes, really sense. makes sense. I think like, it makes like, 100% Like, sense. when everything else was gone, they were there for you, they cared for you, and it didn't matter. Nothing yep. else mattered. They wanted, you know, they were there for you. Mm-hmm. For you, Judy? I think it did change the way I felt about it because it made me realize, I mean, when we, when Pablo was diagnosed with cancer, my first thought was, I wish this was me. And I've never wow. felt yep. that way it's about very anyone. Selfless way right? of thinking about it. And it was so just subconscious. I wasn't actively thinking that. I was just like, no, this can't be it. It must be me. But I've never felt that way about anyone before. And I've been told that it gets worse when you have kids because yes. your kids, you really are kind of very crazy for them and, <laughs> and really or will dogs. put them first. Yeah. <laughs> or dogs. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, so that was eye-opening for me because it was really scary. It was like terrifying to know that if I lost this person, and I mean, even now I still think about that. If I lose Pablo, I don't know like how I would recover from that. And obviously people have lost their significant others and done so, but like I don't see a path forward where I do recover from something like that. And so that to me is really like just a sign that what we have is very real. And um, I don't know. I'm so happy about that. Good. Good. And what was your wedding like? Out <laughs> of the good stuff. Yeah, onto the good stuff. Uh, unbelievable in, in one word. It was just everything we could have hoped for and, and more. Uh, we we got married in Napa, not in Yachtville, but somewhat mm-hmm. close by. Um, we'd been eyeing the weather weeks and months beforehand. It was like 100 <laughs> plus degrees. And we, the whole time we're just like, oh, my oh, God, it's going to be terrible. Everybody in their suits going to be sweating. Um, but then we got so lucky the day of, it was like a, a beautiful 83 degrees. Uh, it was mm-hmm. so amazing. Everything went pretty much flawlessly. All our most precious people were there. Uh, our favorite people were there and it's just an indescribable feeling almost. It is what everyone says about their wedding day it really is the best day of your life because you see everyone you love, all your friends and family, and they're there for you to celebrate you. And that just really doesn't happen ever besides that. So yeah, the, the up to the wedding, uh, maybe early on in the planning stages, Judy, most I mean, I, I was kind of neutral, but Judy was kind of going back and forth, like, should we even have a big wedding? Why don't we just have a little small one with our close yeah. friends? Like, I don't want to have a big wedding. But what really tipped it for us when we talked about it was, when else are you going to have a time in your yep. life when all your favorite people are together in one place celebrating you? Yeah. And it's really, you know, like there's really no other time. And, and that's that's what made us do it. And it was all worth it. It was all worth it. Oh, and we um, recently found out that our wedding venue, Calistoga Ranch, is actually okay. Oh, oh good. good. I was just yeah. Good. that. Yeah. We are happy about that. We're obviously devastated for everyone yeah. who lost homes and um, everything that happened there. But, you know, that, that to us was a good sign. And, but it's also proof that everything in life is unpredictable. Yeah. Anything can happen. These That's a really good tie back. Yep. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Everything you have. You yeah. never know. I've had friends who've um, gotten married and shortly after one of them has some sort of mental illness that wow. later came out and, you know, they didn't know and they have to right. deal with that. You just never know what yeah. could happen. Right. You don't. Yeah. During, after, I mean, you have no idea. But let's go into some takeaways. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to go just through some takeaways because I feel like if you can get through this as a couple, you can pretty much get through everything. <laughs> so what were some of the resources that you found really helpful to get you through this hard time? And you talked about, you know, having your family there. You talked about 
communication skills, anything else? Books you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Oh, what books? Yeah. Um, well, I read uh, When Breath Becomes Air, which mm-hmm. is uh, by Paul Kalanithi. I might be pronouncing that last name wrong. Um, I read a lot of depressing books about cancer while Pablo was going through this. And I could totally see for a lot of people how that would not be helpful. But I think for me, one of the most comforting things was just knowing that I was not the only person going through yeah. this. Yeah. So that actually made me feel better because it made me feel like, oh, I'm not this unique snowflake where I'm dealing with this thing no one has ever been through. But it's like all of these people have been through it. Some of them have had worse outcomes where the person did die and they've managed to live and, and survive, you know, and, and mm-hmm. glean experiences from that. Um, so I read a lot of books. I also, honestly, I Googled a lot. I was just like, how do you take care of someone with cancer and things like that? And there mm-hmm. are actually, you know, there are good resources online. Um, we had a great support network of friends and family that checked in on us. It was really, really great. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things that Judy's always been really good at encouraging me is posting more on social media and not just putting your best face forward, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, a lot of most people use social media for. But uh, being vulnerable, as getting I mentioned, real. it's important. Yeah. Getting real, it's important to be vulnerable in front of your partner. But like, you'd be amazed at the positive reaction you get being vulnerable on things like Facebook, mm. uh, for example, or even writing a blog. And when I first got diagnosed, I I posted, and um, that's where actually a lot of our support network came from. To mm. be honest, people mm-hmm. reaching out saying like people that you didn't even know about talking about the issues that they were dealing with, yeah. and that really helps you recognize that everybody's fighting their own battles. That yes. you're not alone. That and is a that, really good point. Yeah. And that, you know, people are there to support you. Like, what's the point of having a thousand friends on Facebook if not, if one of them is not going to like, exactly, bake really you a cookie good point. Yeah. <laughs> when you're going through chemo, right? Like, and it's the little things. And I think on top of that, also finding your, your stress outlets is also really important. Um, so for Judy, like making sure that she got out and exercised and not being mm-hmm. stuck when I was going through this. And for me, uh, just, I found, especially early on in my diagnosis, when there was still uncertainty about what type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma I have, because there are subtypes within that group, and there are some more aggressive kinds and some less aggressive kinds, and that was super stressful for me uh, mm-hmm. because there was just so much unknown, and you could do nothing except for wait, except for waiting. Mm-hmm. The waiting is honestly some of the hardest part about um, about something like this. And for me, my stress outlet that I found worked really well for me was just writing about it, yeah. and so I started a blog. And I was like, I don't even care if nobody reads this. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, just the fact that I'm able to put this out and, like, organize my thoughts on paper rather than spinning these ideas in my head over and over again was super, super helpful. There's a reason why people say journaling is really helpful. Yeah. 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 And you said at some point you were considering therapy. What made you consider that as an option? You know, it was just um, at some point I took some time off of work and Pablo was really there about there are periods of chemo. Um, it's three it's three weeks for every round and he was going through six rounds of it. Wow. And the, there's a week. The second week is really, really bad where you really can't even leave the house because your immune system is so weak and compromised that you have to eat only home cooked meals and you can't eat anything that's like raw. And you just it's and then Pablo is also very, very weak because of his immune system is depleted. And so, you know, I felt this, I felt like an obligation to want, and I wanted to stay with him during this time. And so I took time off from work and was with him. But I think it was just, it was hard for us because we were both in this situation where there was not really much we could do. Pablo couldn't do anything. He felt so weak and so tired. I mean, he was having trouble going from the bed to the couch, which is like a 20 feet walk, 20 (laughs) feet from each other. 
Um, and I couldn't do anything because I couldn't take the pain away. I couldn't share the pain. I was just watching the person I love be so incredibly helpless. And I think that really hurt our ability to communicate at some points. I mean, it just, we kind of both just broke down and without either of us being able to support the other, it was really, really hard because we were both so just in kind of like very sad places. And so we started talking about going to therapy and um, we looked at people who would be like this kind of like disease, like, you know, suffering type of therapist. Um, but ultimately, when we thought about it, we were like, I think we can just work through this. If the two of us just talk, mm-hmm. then we'll try to work through this. And that was something that we said to each other was, let's do our best to work through this. But if we still feel like we're not going anywhere, then we will go and yeah. make an appointment. Did you look into support groups at all? Not really. Mm. No. I would say no, just because uh, through our network, we actually had people that uh, one person, for example, had literally gone through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma treatment maybe just a few months before me. And so I was sure. talking to him, talking to other people who were researchers studying NHL. Um, and uh, and so we kind of had our own little internal support group, which mm-hmm. didn't require us to go to like maybe meetings. Um which was really helpful. I find that a lot of times, I mean, you can go down this internet rabbit hole of finding information and, and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is is worse than I thought. The doctors actually tell you not, not to do it. it, Right. So they recommend that you speak to other people who've gone through it before. And I think that applies to everything in life. It's better to hear from someone who's been through it versus going on the internet and just trying to find everything you possibly can yeah, right? because you freak yourself you out. You don't know what they're going through exactly. It may no. or may not be the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get through some um, takeaways. I think we talked about some of them. and But for me, commitment is this word that we've been trying to explore this season on Datable. What does that mean? Because I think even um, something lighter of an issue would be, like you were saying, when it comes to dating, people are disposable. So you kind of swipe them away. If yeah. There's like one deal breaker, one red right, flag, and right. you move on to the next person. What does commitment really mean to you, You're the listeners, right? Because everybody has their own definition. And I guess to me, listening to the story and listening to what you guys have been through, commitment is about putting yourself second to your right. partner, being selfless. And knowing that you're in the situation together, being part of a team, all the cliches you could talk about, but owning those words, you know, people say them so easily, but what does it mean to be on the same page and the same team as your partner? And what does it mean to say, I would rather this happen to me than my partner? I mean, that's really compelling for you to say and very selfless for you to say too. So I think we need to think about commitment. How committed are you to someone to put yourself second to them, to think about them, to be thoughtful about what their needs are, and also to to keep track of the things that they like. And maybe it's not, you know, in digital form or you're not writing them down, but a mental record of what your partner wants. To me, that's called investing in your partner. And the more you invest in your partner, the more you feel compelled to be committed to them, right? It's with anything in life. The more time you spend on them, the more you're committed. So having that record of everything (laughs) Judy likes. Now, do you have a do you have some sort of mental record of what he likes? She's smart, so she doesn't have to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> I remember She just remembers I remember it. Yeah. it. I mean, yeah. I think the other side of it is like the importance of having that partner that will support you. Like, mm. Judy, you could have been like, this is too much for me. I'm going to go 
party with my girlfriends, but that wasn't who you were. And this was obviously you were committed to it. But having that person, like you said, one of the things is actually letting them help you. And I think that was a huge part of it. Yeah. Being vulnerable. Yeah. You know, that's huge in any partnership. Being vulnerable in a, in a relationship, what does it mean? It's not about showing weakness. And I think sometimes we stigmatize vulnerability as weakness. It's about showing different sides of who you are. And I think we hear this over and over again that, you know, you're, you're supposed to go through a honeymoon period in a relationship. You're supposed to be happy, go lucky your first two years after marriage. Well, guess what? It doesn't always happen that way. And we should see these moments of um, hardship or problems and issues that come up as opportunities to deepen your bond right. with each other. So instead of avoiding them or running away from them, we should tackle them in a very optimistic way right. and learn from them. And I think you guys said it too, in like retrospect, it has helped your relationship. So <laughs> yeah. Cool. Anything else? Any other takeaways? Anything that you can offer to our listeners who may be going through similar situations? Uh, and I, I just have to say this again. Doesn't this put everything in perspective for everybody <laughs> yeah. listening right that, now? That's a takeaway in <laughs> yeah. itself. Yeah. That, like, like the yeah. guy that didn't text me back in, you know, two right. days. <laughs> forget it. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. I would say the thing that has really stuck out to me through all this is even with friends and certainly in a relationship, it's so easy to be there for somebody when they're on top or when they're yep. happy or when good things are happening. I mean, think about how many birthday parties or how many weddings and all these things you've been able to attend. It is so, so important to be there for the people you love when things are not going well and to just show up and be present. And I think those are the kinds of friendships that we won't forget now that we've been through something like this. And we certainly won't forget that of each other. But I try to make an extra effort now if I see somebody who's, you know, posting on Facebook and is suffering or texting me something like those are the people that I feel like I make an extra effort to say, hey, I'm yes. here and I care and mm -hmm. I will always be here if you need me. That's a really good point because it doesn't have to be something necessarily devastating mm -hmm. or earth shattering. It could just be like, I'm not having a good day. Yeah. I'm going to be there for yeah. you. Yeah. I want to listen. I will listen right. to you. And yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, I was super lucky to have Judy going through this, but I think that a lot of the, you know, lessons that we took away from it don't necessarily have to apply to, you know, your partner in life. Um, they could just as easily do apply to your closest friends. And I think that being there for them, being vulnerable with them, reaching out for help when you need it is super important. And, and like, Fostering those relationships with your friends will make you stronger when something bad happens to you. And it's super important to have that support. That actually sparked another takeaway for me. And this <laughs> applies to dating and your friends as well. It's that sometimes when we listen to our partners speak, maybe they just want to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when we are engaged in conversation, we're so concerned about what right. we can offer. Right. It's like that first date. I got to one up this person. I got to <laughs> offer something interesting and impressive. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Most of the time people just want to be heard. Right. I'm having mm -hmm. a bad day. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to offer me any advice on how to make my day better. I just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing we can really take into our lives. And, and I think a lot of people sometimes, like, especially with like something like cancer, they're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what the right thing to do. So I'm just not going to be there. <laughs> yeah. And I know there's a lot of people that do think that Avoid, way. Yeah. And it's like what we're saying, just listen. Like you mm -hmm. don't have to know how it feels because you're not going to know yes. how it feels. Mm -hmm. So it's like instead of like trying to fix it for them, just listen. Mm-hmm. 
Perfect. And listeners at home, we're listening to you too. I think <laughs> it's so important to know that you're never alone in what you're going through. Someone yeah. else has been through it. Someone else can offer their support and advice. So tell us what you're going through. And chances are we can offer some sort of support through our community and our network and show you that we're all going through similar battles together. So tell us your stories. Tell us your, ask us your questions. Tell us the conundrums that you're going through. No problem is ever too small. And you can do that by contacting us through email or through our website. And last but not least, stay dateable. Your action item for this week is to exercise more active listening. Being a good listener means exactly that, to listen. But we don't always do that. There are two common ways that tend to ruin the experience of listening. One is you offer unsolicited advice. Sometimes the person who is speaking isn't seeking advice. Maybe they just want to vent. Second is that you relate it back to yourself. It's natural to want to show empathy and say things like, I know exactly what you're going through because I went through a similar thing myself. But that actually undermines the speaker. The fact is, no two experiences are exactly alike. The person talking wants to have their experience validated. So next time someone's talking, just listen, digest, and then ask, what would you like from me? Do you want advice? Do you want me to share a similar experience or do you just want me to listen to you vent? If you didn't know already, in our off season, we launched a premium series called the Y series, where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We've had some great feedback on how actionable these episodes are. So check it out on our website under the tab Y series, or you can now buy directly from iTunes music. The most efficient way to meet new people is a combination of online and offline. 500 Brunches has your offline covered. Connect over brunch with new friends. Come alone or bring a buddy. There is always a table full of friendly faces, mimosas, and eggs benedict. Sign up at 500brunches.com and use the code DATEABLE for a free entry. To connect with us, visit datablepodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, all under Dateable Podcast. Mm-hmm.